0: You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Friday show for you. Heading into Wild Card weekend, one of the best weekends in all of sports. I got a lot of NFL stuff for you. Some great statistics and kind of a way to look at some of the games this weekend versus what you're hearing on probably other radio shows or television shows. I'm going to tell you exactly how you can break stuff down now. Um, I got uh, some opinions on the Colts, I've got some gambling stuff for you for this weekend's games, and believe it or not, I'm going to talk a little baseball because we are headed for some changes, and we'll get to that momentarily. Let's get started here, I got a couple corrections and one omission from yesterday's podcast. So one of the things that I talked about yesterday was the Dallas Cowboys and their dominance from 1966 to 1983. I said they had won 17, they had been in the playoffs 17 times in those 18 years with 12 NFC Championship appearances. What I meant to say was 11, and it was winning their division. It wasn't called the NFC East uh, in the first three that they won, but they won 11 NFC East Championships from or their division, just call it their division, because I believe it was called the NFC Capital in the late 60s. But from 1966 to 1983, 11 times they won their division, two Super Bowl titles during that time, and 17 playoff appearances in 18 years. So I wanted to get that out there, correct that. They did not go to 12 NFC Championship games in 18 years. I don't know what I was thinking. I just read it wrong. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention in the statistic yesterday where I talked about college coaches going to the NFL and how awful they've been, and only three have even had a winning record. Two of them were five games over and four games over, respectively. The only one who was dominant when he went from college to the pros was Jim Harbaugh. A few of you reached out to me yesterday and you said, well, wait a second. What about Pete Carroll? Went from SC to the Seattle Seahawks. Very true. But Pete Carroll was already a coach in the NFL before he went back to SC. He coached the Jets, and he coached the Patriots. So the stat was any coach that left from college to the pros since the year 2000 going to the pros for his first time. It's simply like, hey, these guys don't know what they're getting into. That's why 9 of the 12 failed miserably and averaged having a 4-12 record. So Pete Carroll didn't count because he had already coached two years in the NFL. Then he went to college, very successful. And then obviously since he's been with the Seahawks, been successful. So wanted to get that out there. Now, we talk about the playoffs this weekend, something, uh, a couple things that I heard on a couple gambling podcasts that I wanted to pass around to you. Um, There's a big statistic going around, especially in the gambling world, that talks about a quarterback making his first start ever in the playoffs going against a team who has a quarterback who already has playoff experience and it has not gone well for the quarterbacks making their first start. Quarterbacks making their first start in a playoff game versus a team and a quarterback that's already had playoff experience, those inexperienced quarterbacks are 14-35-1 against the spread. And we've got a few of those this weekend. This weekend, we have three instances of that happening. We've got Skyler Thompson going up against the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, Josh Allen has played in the playoffs before. We've got what looks to be Anthony Brown now for the Baltimore Ravens going up against Joe Burrow. We know Burrow has been in the playoffs before. And even if they start Ty Huntley, he hasn't played in the playoffs, started a game in the playoffs. And then Daniel Jones making his first career playoff start going up against Kirk Cousins, who has clearly been in the playoffs before. Now you've got the Chargers and Jacksonville game. With Herbert and Lawrence, they're both making their first playoff appearance. So it kind of washes out. But those three games, like I said, the statistic is inexperienced quarterbacks making their first perfect, first playoff start versus a team that isn't making a quarterback, doesn't have a quarterback making their first start. 14-35-1 against the spread. Three times it happened in last year's playoffs and it went 0 and 3. Kyler Murray was making his first start against the Rams. Cardinals got blown out. Mac Jones making his first start against the Bills. Patriots got blown out. Jalen Hurts making his first start against the Bucks. Philly got blown out. So, just keep that in mind doesn't necessarily mean that none of them are going to cover again, but you know, not a statistic in your favor if you're looking to bet Miami which that lines up to I think or 14 now. Baltimore's gone up to 8.5, I believe, now because it looks like Anthony Brown is going to get the start. Lamar Jackson is definitely out. Tyler Huntley hasn't even practiced this week, and the game is tomorrow. So I don't know how he plays. And then, um, you know, Daniel Jones getting three on the road uh, against Kirk Cousins. So That one's obviously a lot closer. But just keep that in mind, just a statistic to to rattle around in your head for a little bit. Now, something I wanted to bring up in regards to, you know, I've talked all week. Since I started this podcast last Monday, I've always said, like, look, I'm just going to give you kind of things on both sides of the game, give you my opinions, and I'm not going to tell you ever this is a lock, this is going to win, how could you think in a million years this is whatever, lose. Anybody can beat anybody. These are all professional players, You can't say that about college football. If Georgia played Kent State 100 times, Georgia would beat Kent State 100 times because they have better players. They have more dominant players. They have more physical players. They have faster players, stronger players. It would never, ever happen where Kent State could beat Georgia in a football game if they played 100 times. They could play 1,000 times. They would never beat them. But you have two NFL teams that played 10 times, 100 times. Nobody's winning 100 times. It's just not possible. These guys are all pros. They're all good. So just keep that in mind. Now, when you listen to radio shows and you listen to TV shows and debate shows talking about this weekend's games, it's very funny because, let's face it, there's three games on the docket this weekend where there's not a single person on the radio or single person on TV unless you are a fan or live in Seattle or a fan or live in Miami or a fan or live in Baltimore. Nobody's picking Seattle, Miami, or Baltimore to win the game outright. They'll say like, Oh, they keep it close or whatever. The bottom line is there's a big difference between picking games this weekend and then actually picking them versus the spread. Most television pundits, radio people don't talk about the spread, even though gambling is a lot more accepted in today's world. But the bottom line is most people are like, hey, I'll give you my – who do I think is going to win this weekend? They don't put the spread into – they don't factor that into their prediction because the spread has nothing to do with the actual game itself in terms of who goes on to win. Like if, if Cincinnati beats Baltimore by three, it's not like Baltimore gets to advance to the next round because they covered. So that's why. People just say, this is what I like to win. But taking that into consideration, basically every single pundit that you hear – is already starting the weekend 3-0 and because, let's face it, San Francisco, Buffalo, and Cincinnati are probably going to win. It would just be a real shocker. And if one of them does lose, hey, then every radio show and TV pundit is going to be 2-1 and because nobody is putting their money or putting their mouth behind one of those teams to say, you know what, they're going to beat, the Seahawks are going to beat San Francisco. Like I said, the only people that are saying that are diehard Seahawks fans or someone who lives in Seattle, and same with Miami. And same with Baltimore. He just, it, when it's a 10-point spread and you've got second- and third-string quarterbacks starting on the road, it's just nobody's buying it. So with that said, everybody's basically starting 3-0. and So really it comes down to the three games that are a lot more evenly matched, and that's Dallas and Tampa Bay, Giants and Minnesota, and Jacksonville, and the Chargers. So what's interesting is when you listen to people talk, and they actually do give a prediction about the game, they will only talk about the side that they're picking and just give you every reason why that team is going to win. Very rarely will they also give you the other side and the reasons that they could win because they want you to believe that side. And I'm going to take the Dallas-Tampa Bay game, perfect example. If I'm a guy out there and I'm picking the Dallas Cowboys and I'm saying, look, the Cowboys are going to win on Monday. It's just Tampa's not going to beat them, and here's why. And I can just list off all these reasons. Dallas is 12-5. and five. They're playing an 8-9 and nine team. Dallas is avenging their loss to Tampa Bay in the first game of the season in the last two years. Tampa's beaten them in game one of the season. This is their chance to avenge them. Uh, Dallas needs this game more than Tampa Bay does. Tampa Bay won a Super Bowl three years ago. Dallas hasn't won a Super Bowl in 26 years. Their fans are getting restless. Uh, Dallas has the superior run game. We know you have to run the ball in the playoffs to win, and the Bucks can't run the ball at all. Dallas has a much better running game. Dallas also has a Super Bowl winning coach, a guy who's been to the playoffs numerous times and has won numerous playoff games against Todd Bowles, who's who's coaching in his first playoff game, and he's going in there with an eight and nine team. Dallas decent away from home this year, four and four. Tampa wasn't world beaters at home this year; they were five and four at home. So you got four and four on the road versus five and four at home. Big deal. Here's another big stat. The Dallas Cowboys' point differential this year was plus 125. Seven games over 500, they outscored their opponents by 125 points. Tampa Bay was 8-9 this year and had a point differential of negative 45. That's a 170-point difference. And if you're looking at a gambling angle on this game, Tampa is the worst team against the spread this year in the NFL. They are 4-12-1 against the spread, the worst record, against the spread of any of the 32 NFL teams. So right there, you'd be like, wow, Dallas really could win. I mean, those are all statistics in Dallas's favor. But that's what TV people and radio people will have you believe. They'll only give you the side that they are on and give you the reasons why that's going to happen, and this is why Dallas is going to win. Those were all great reasons. I mean, it's hard to argue with any of those. Those are all fact factual points. Those aren't even opinions. Those were all facts. However, if somebody's on the Tampa Bay side, they can come back at you with this. If they didn't say anything about Dallas and you didn't know anything and someone said, you know what, I love Tampa Bay on Monday night against Dallas, and here's why. Tom Brady's never lost to the Cowboys in his career. He's 7-0. and The Dallas secondary has been horrible the last month of the season. They've given up big plays. They've given up big yards. All Tampa Bay can do is pass. They have a horrible run game, and all they do is pass. Brady set the record for most completions he's ever had in a season this year at 45 years old. So clearly, they can pass the ball. He's been doing it for 17 games. Tampa has beaten them the last two years in the opening game of the season, once at home last year and on the road this year. So clearly they have confidence that they can beat the Cowboys. While Tampa does have the worst against the spread record in the NFL this year at 4-12-1, you got to break that down a little bit further because they were favored in 14 of their 17 games this year. They're a home underdog on Monday night, and that's only the second time this season they've been a home underdog, and the last time was all the way back in Week 3. So this is a role that we have not seen them in since Week 3. Uh, As a franchise, here's a good one. The Dallas Cowboys, as a franchise, have 35 career playoff wins. I believe they are 35-19 and in their career in the playoffs. Tom Brady has 35 playoff wins himself. You're going up against the GOAT. By the way, that's more than double of the next guy. Joe Montana has 16 playoff wins. He's in second place. Tom Brady has 35. Now, I think it's safe to say Patrick Mahomes is going to definitely pass Joe Montana at some point in his career. Mahomes is already at 8 in year 5. So, he's halfway to he's halfway to Montana. He's played 4 full years. This is, you know, year 5 of being a starter. And he's probably going to win at least one game. Well, maybe not. I mean, even if he loses, he's still at eight through five years. Even if he doesn't win a playoff game this year, that's amazing. When second place with the most playoff wins by a quarterback is sixteen, so that's what I mean. Like you can make a case, you can sway your listeners to get you to buy your stance by just talking about the side that you like. Very few people are going to give you reasons why both teams can win the game. So I just want you to keep that in mind. So I gave you great statistics for the Cowboys. But it also gives you great reasons why Tampa Bay could win that game Monday, which is why you might as well just fucking flip a coin because nobody knows what's going to happen. You don't. And if, if you do and you absolutely know what you're going to do, and even if you do and you guess it right, it, it, what does that really mean? You, can, you don't know everything. Nobody does. And so I just want you to look at things a way a little bit differently, that nothing is a guarantee. On the playoffs, even though, you know, I'm talking about like, hey, San Francisco, Buffalo and Cincy are probably going to win. Yeah. And everybody that is talking about those games isn't ballsy enough to say no. I think Baltimore is going to win the game outright. I think Miami is going to win the game outright. I think Seattle is going to win the game outright. No. The only thing they're saying is I think they can keep it close. But nobody's making a prediction that they're going to win outright, like I said, unless you live in one of those three cities or are a super duper fan. So keep that in mind when you're listening to stuff today, tomorrow. Um, basically, all these pundits are already 3-0 and because everyone's picking San Francisco, Buffalo, and Cincinnati. And if you're asking me, of course I put them in a three-team 10-point tease. All I need them to do is all win. So um, anyway, um, let's talk about, uh, speaking of bets, my Super Bowl bets. I didn't tell you about this because i got to talk to you about it now since after this weekend, you could think that I made it up. I have five teams that I picked before the season to win the Super Bowl. Actually, four, and one I picked after uh, last Sunday's games, heading into the playoffs. So it's no fun to pick the favorites. You know, the Buffaloes, the Kansas Cities, that's who everybody's picking. San Francisco, Cincinnati, that's who everybody's picking to win. And while, you know, I think right now Buffalo and San Francisco and Kansas City are all around 3 or 4 to 1. You know, a $100 bet wins you back 400 That's decent. But it's a lot more fun to pick the middle of the road or the real long shots because that's where you get paid. I, I don't know if you remember my tweets from last year, but before the season, I had bet the Cincinnati Bengals to win the Super Bowl, and my bet paid back $20,000. And then right before about, uh, I think I want to say week 8, about uh, – no, I'm sorry. Not before the season. Uh, I think f- six or eight games into the season is when I bet the Bengals to win the Super Bowl last year, and my bet paid $20,000 if they won. I had the Rams before the season to win the Super Bowl, and that was that paid 10000 So I was a winner going into last year's Super Bowl, and that's what I'm trying to do. Trying to get the matchup, and so no matter who wins, I'm going to win. So... Um, yeah, obviously I won with the Rams. I would have liked to seen the Bengals win because I would have won twenty grand, but or a little less because you have to minus my Rams bet. But this year, same thing. Before the season, now even though they're the favorite in the NFC, before the season, I bet the Eagles because the Eagles were twenty two to one to win the Super Bowl before the season. So I have them, and if they win the Super Bowl, um, that wins me eleven thousand. Before the season, I also bet the Chargers to win the Super Bowl. So that's kind of like my that would be my ultimate that I hope happens. Do I think it will? Probably not, because you are taking a chance. These are longer shots, a twenty-two to one, and the Chargers were um, around twenty to one for the AFC. So I was like, okay, I'll go Eagles Chargers. Hey, if it happens, Chargers would win me back ten grand. So I am basically going to win ten either way if we get an Eagles Chargers Super Bowl. Then I don't have to worry about cheering for somebody. If one of them makes it, then I have to look at possible hedge possibilities. The other three before the season, I put the Ravens in. Small bet. uh, They were 20 to 1. I put the Dolphins in. They were about 20. Looking at this bet, it was um, three. They were a little over 20 to 1. And then last week, uh, after the games ended on Sunday, I threw a little bit on the Vikings. Um, the Vikings were at uh, uh, th- um, thirty to one, right? Yeah, thirty-two to one. The Vikings, and that's after Sunday's game. So those are the five teams. Ultimately, I need it would be good an Eagles-Charger Super Bowl or a Vikings-Charger Super Bowl would be where I don't have to worry about picking a winner because I'm going to win either way. So I'd like to see that happen. I mean, I, do I think, in the back of my mind, I probably think Kansas City, Buffalo, or Cincinnati is going to represent the AFC, and it's not going to be the Chargers. But, hey, I could cheer for an upset and see what happens. But that's where I'm at with my Super Bowl bets. Just wanted to throw those out there before the playoffs started. Someone else uh, sent me an email and said, hey, are you taking questions for your, the sports daily? And I was like, okay, I will. They asked me what I, who I thought the new head, new Colts head coach could be and what I think about interim head coach Jeff Saturday. I'll answer the second one first. Jeff Saturday's gonzo. He's not the coach next year. Guy finished 1-7. and He was terrible. He lost to the Houston Texans in the last game of the year with a seven-point lead with three minutes left, and he let the worst team in the league drive 80 yards on him and then complete a uh, two-point conversion. So he's gone. He showed nothing that deserved him keeping that job. Nice guy, but will probably go back to TV and go work for ESPN. As for your new coach, I don't know. I really don't. I know they interviewed Eric Bieniemy today for the from the Kansas City Chiefs. He's going to be a head coach someday. Wouldn't be a bad hire. The guys ran the Kansas City offense in the Patrick Mahomes era. Not a bad hire. He's got to get hired someday. It's, it's a shame that he hasn't been hired by now. But in terms of who you should get, I, I don't really know. I got to see, like, Who's the list of people that you've interviewed and who are you narrowing it down to? And then I could be like, oh, if I were you, I would pick this person. But I don't know who they're talking to other than I saw that they interviewed the enemy. And I want to just end with this. Since I started the Sports Daily last Monday, this is show number 10. I don't think I've brought up baseball once. And there really is no reason to. We're not in baseball season. We are in the heart of you know NFL playoffs. So anything in baseball... Would have to be fairly big deal. And a story came down yesterday that I think warrants talking about baseball, and that's the fact that all AAA baseball teams are going to robot umpires behind the plate starting this season, which means you could probably bet your ass that it's not, we are not more than probably five years away before robot umpires are calling balls and strikes in Major League Baseball. Now, some of you may ask, well, what does that actually mean? How do they do that? And do you like it? And honestly, right now, look, I'm all for progression. I understand how technology is working. Technology is changing the way we live. Technology is basically running everything right now. You got to keep up with the times. I get it. But right now, I still don't know if I like this for baseball. There's something about an umpire behind the plate, no matter how shitty he may be, and call a ball a strike or a strike a ball and screw your team. The human element about it is something that I've always enjoyed. People are going to screw up. Not everybody's going to get every call right. And now we're going to sit here and have a computer determine what the strike is. And essentially what it does is there's all these cameras around the stadium. Everything is monitored. And when the pitch is made, right when it hits the catcher's mitt, within like a second, it notifies the umpire if it's a ball or a strike based on, you know, where it was placed. But I've seen videos of this on the internet because they have tried it in the lower divisions in baseball. And sometimes the umpire doesn't give a signal for like a second and a half. And then sometimes I've seen it where it's been dead wrong. Like the ball was in the dirt and it was called a strike. And I'm like, what? I thought the whole point of computers controlling this was to make sure that it has to be in the zone for it to be called a strike. So I don't know if I like this. I haven't seen it. I haven't been to a game where this has happened. It's gotten positive reviews in the minor leagues. People have actually liked it. The managers have liked it. The players have liked it. But, man, I i don't want to sound like, you know, old school baseball guy here, but there's just something about the human element of the umpire behind home plate. Now, I do think home plate umpires, and I do think umpires should be banned if because these guys are all tracked every single umpire that calls games behind home plate is tracked for how many times he was off on a ball call or how many times he was off on a strike call and i think guys that score poorly angel hernandez the worst balls and strikes uh, umpire in all of baseball and everybody knows it those guys should just not be allowed to call balls and strikes they should not be home plate umpires i thoroughly agree with that if you score well and you and you're accurate and you hit 85, 90%. I don't know what the percentage would be. But you should be allowed to still continue to call balls and strikes. Guys that are 75% or worse? No, you shouldn't. I don't know how I feel about this. I really don't. There's still going to be an umpire behind home plate. He's just going to be signaling based on what a computer tells him. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, I might change my mind when I actually see it play out. But, Baseball announced yesterday that every single AAA team is going to ABS, which is automated balls and strikes for the upcoming season, which means it's not long before it's coming to Major League Baseball. There's a reason they're doing it all throughout one league, and it's the league before you get to the majors, and that's because it's coming to baseball probably sooner rather than later. I can't imagine it's going to be more than five years before this year because, remember, this upcoming season in baseball – we got some pretty big rule changes, you know. We've got the pitch clock that's coming this year in Major League Baseball. You're going to have, I believe it's 20 seconds in between pitches uh, or eight, 18 seconds with nobody on base and 20 seconds if somebody is on base between pitches. Um, the defensive shifts are basically out of baseball. You have to have two guys on each side of the bag, and you can't have guys infield or standing in the outfield. Your heels are have to be on the dirt. Some part of your feet have to be on the dirt. So that's going to increase scoring. They're going to have larger bases. I have really understood that one. I don't know why we need larger bases. Um, Restricting the number of times a pitcher can throw a pickoff, make a pickoff attempt, which I'm fine with. They never work anyway, or very rarely. I mean, obviously they have worked in the past, but very rarely. And this is all to just speed up the pace of game. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I I need more time on this one, but when I saw that yesterday that AAA is going to all automated balls and strikes, I'm like, okay, I might need to uh, prepare myself. This is coming to Major League Baseball. So we will see, but I wanted to throw that out there and get your uh, first Major League Baseball update in the two weeks of the Sports Daily. But yeah, that'll do it. Two weeks of the Sports Daily is in the books. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple Podcast. And remember, have a great wild card weekend because this is honestly the best one of the best weekends of the year two games saturday three games sunday one game monday can't beat it nfl playoffs anyway thank you all for listening and remember sports will always be the greatest reality show on television see